Hey everyone, I'm Cappy and you're listening to Beyond the Plate. This is a podcast where we sit down with the world's culinary elite to explore their journey into the food industry and the social impact they have made in their community. If you're new to the pod, welcome. If you've listened before, welcome back. We hope this episode inspires you to cook or possibly do some good today as these chefs inspire us. And we're grateful to our partners who help make this podcast a reality. With that... This episode is made possible with the help of our friends at Martin's Famous Potato Rolls. Martin's is an all-American family-owned and operated company founded in 1955 and headquartered in Chambersburg, Pennsylvania. That's over 65 years of people eating and loving Martin's Famous Potato Rolls. They're the number one branded potato roll in America, and as I always like to say, they can make almost any burger taste better. Martin's has been setting the gold standard for potato rolls since their famous sandwich rolls first hit farmer's markets and then later grocery stores. These are the roles that have helped many chefs and restaurants win top honors in burger contests all over the country. But here's what I recently am loving from Martin's. They actually have a hoagie roll, a longer roll, if you will. Some people call it a sub roll. Some people call it a hero roll. Anyhow, Martin's labels it as a hoagie roll. So I got back from a friend's wedding recently. We had a nice outdoor wedding here in Chicago. We had a couple friends in town from Houston staying with us and we were hungry. And as a joke, but maybe not, my friend says... Hey, Cappy, why don't you whip us up a chicken parm panini or something? And I thought to myself, wait, I can whip up a chicken parm panini right now. So I opened our pantry door, took out the Martin's hoagie rolls, had some leftover grilled chicken, little red sauce, little Mott's cheese, and whipped up a delicious grilled chicken parm panini. So if you are into the panini style sandwich, this hoagie roll is perfect for it. While I love all of Martin's products, here's what I really love about Martin's as a brand, as a company. Their mission encompasses more than baking the best bread and providing good American jobs. They also believe in giving back to their community and the world around them. Through volunteering time and donating resources, they support hundreds of charitable organizations such as food banks, after-school programs, disaster relief, and others that provide sustenance and comfort to people in need both close to their baking facilities and abroad. To learn more about Martin's and check out some great recipes, go to potatorolls.com and follow them on social media at Potato Rolls. Martins, we thank you. This episode is made possible with the help of our friends at One Hope Wine. One Hope is a Napa Valley winery built on hope and rooted in purpose. Every bottle of their award-winning wine supports a meaningful cause. And this, as you can imagine, is why we love them. Here's what this means. It means One Hope's commitment to high-quality wine is as important as their commitment to the causes they support. Through the sale of every bottle, One Hope has donated over $7 million to causes around the world. From building a school in Guatemala to funding over 3 million meals for children in need, One Hope's mission is to nourish the future. One Hope also believes you shouldn't have to sacrifice your wallet to enjoy quality, award-winning wines. Thank you, One Hope. Not only have my wife and I tasted multiple bottles of their wine and really enjoyed them, unbeknownst to me... Two producers of this podcast also seem to be big fans. Case in point, when I said to our producer, Shant, we're working with this really cool winery in Napa called One Hope that has a great giving back component. He said to me, yes, Cappy, I know One Hope. I always bring their wine to friends' houses as a gift when they entertain. Furthermore, One Hope Winery is also home to the 2020 Collective. What's the 2020 Collective? I'm glad you asked. 2020 Collective is an eclectic group of people who share a common commitment to philanthropy and social responsibility in their local communities and worldwide. 
To learn more about One Hope Wine, the winery, and to apply to become a 2020 collective member, go to onehopewine.com. Follow them on Instagram at One Hope and on Facebook at One Hope Wine. One Hope, we thank you. Hey everyone, one more thing before we get going. We have some awesome Beyond the Plate merch, which you can find a link to in your podcast player or at beyondtheplatemerch.com. Head on over and check out our hats, tees, and hoodies. Again, that's beyondtheplatemerch.com. All right, enjoy this week's episode. All right, today's guest is a fourth-generation baker who was born into the business owned and operated by his parents, grew up in Hoboken, New Jersey, in an old-fashioned Italian family. You may know him from TLC series Cake Boss or from visiting one of his many bakery or restaurant locations. He's got four New York Times bestselling books, four hit television shows, maybe even more, and well over 20 million fans across various social media platforms. Please enjoy this episode as we go beyond the plate with Bartolo Buddy Velastro Jr. Hey, what's up, man? How you doing? How are you? Before I start, let's test the audio out for you. Name 10 types of cakes or Italian cookies for me. Red velvet, tiramisu, rainbow cake, chocolate cake, vanilla cake, cream puff cake. Love it. You're good. You're a junior. How would you describe the original? The original was the best. I mean, my dad was the best guy in the world. I mean, he was just my mentor, my idol, my best friend, and uh, the best dad anybody could ever ask for. You know, um, he really taught me how to be a man and taught me not only how to bake, but how to to live life and how to look at things. And the older I get, the smarter I think he was, you know, because... Things, things didn't always make sense at, you know, say 15 or 16, but now you're like, oh yeah, that's why he would say that. Do you feel you have a big legacy to live up to with him? Oh, huge, huge. I mean, you know, with, with people who knew him, he was like, he walked on water, you know? And, and honestly, sometimes I worry about my sons because look, I took what my dad had and, you know, tenfolded it into you know, numerous different things. So, you know, I was able to overcome it and, and, and whatever, but now it's like my sons are going to, I don't want them to be, feel like there's that pressure of that scrutiny where they have to live up to me. I just want them to love what they do and, and be good people and, and, you know, be happy with that. You know, it's, to me, it's not about, Oh, you, you have to do this. Or you have to do that. You know? Yeah. So take us through like young buddy of Lastro. like you, you're like growing up, you're one of five kids. You're the only boy. Like t- what were you up to as a kid? And take us around like that family table of yours. Cool. Well, listen, grew up very old fashioned, like very old school Italian, you know, I was the youngest of five children, so I had four older sisters. So, I mean, they spoiled me. I mean, you know, like dinner table, me, you know, my, my sisters and my mom would cater to me and my dad. You know, I'd be eating and I'd be, where's the salt? And somebody would jump up and go get it. And, you know, it was it was just like really kind of old-fashioned. And not not because, you know, it's just the way we it was, you know. But um, I love my sisters dearly, you know, and – after all these years, we still have such a great dynamic, right? You know, we, we're still close the way we were at that kitchen table, you know, and, and and talking and kind of what's going on in life. And, you know, just the TV always went off. You know, we, you know, my mom always fixed everybody's plate. And it's funny because my wife does the same thing at my house now. So it's kind of, we, we kind of kept a tradition like that. Are you big on like family dinners at home now? Like, Oh, yeah. Yeah, we, we, I mean, we, whether it's just me, my wife, and kids, or 
you know, we have this huge kitchen table that sits about 20, 22 people. And when we put this kitchen table on, everyone's like, oh, man, you know, you're crazy. And I'm like, no, this is what I love. I love having, like, the whole family at the table and we're all sitting around it, eating and enjoying and talking about life. Was everybody helping? And So mom mainly cooked growing up? My, my dad was actually a better cook than my mom, but he didn't cook that often. So my mom did most of the cooking day in and day out. My wife is an amazing cook. So she does a lot of the cooking. I'm a really good cook too. I cook what she would classify as, you know, fancy or or, or fattening. You know what I'm trying to say? Because I'll use butter or cream or, or you know, more uh, richer ingredients, we'll call it. Uh, and I'll just say, yeah, my food tastes good. You know, it tastes that's funny. Did you help mom in the kitchen? I did a little bit. I helped mom a little bit. I always helped my dad too. It's just, but cooking really came to me natural. Once I started to, I have really good, I don't want to say taste buds, but when when I eat something and I'm able to really dissect what's in there, you know, whether it be cake or whether it be savory. So like, you know, I'll go to a restaurant, I'll eat this. I'm like, mm, you know, I really like what they did here. And then I'll try to go home and try to replicate it. That's interesting. It's so uh, not to digress, but I, I'm like a classically trained chef and I always find it interesting. I've worked in a lot of like pastry kitchens, but I always find it interesting when a pastry chef could taste a big batch of a dough and, and know if something was off, you know, like I, I, I had this massive batch of a, like a chocolate chip cookie dough at a, at a big hotel and the pastry chef was incredible. And he came by and took like the smallest piece. He's like, you didn't measure the salt. Right. I was like, yeah, you know, yeah, no, it's, 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 it's so true. A lot of things are texture and body too. And, and like, like making a, a cake mix, I can look at the gloss that it has on it and, and know if it was, if it wasn't whipped up enough. That's so interesting. Do you still cook any of mom or dad's recipes? Yeah. I mean, every Sunday, you know, we do uh, what we call, my mom, we call this Sunday gravy. My wife calls it Sunday sauce. And we kind of morphed the two into one because my, my wife's, my wife's family just did really, they would draw their own fresh tomato sauce. So they would, you know, Start from the tomatoes. They would jar it, you know, in September, and then every week open up fresh tomatoes. We didn't do that. My mom used canned tomatoes. I mean, you know, canned like like you know, like ragu canned, but like canned tomato. But we always did meatball. We always did lamb neck, and we always did like uh, flank steak, you know, inside with it. And that's now my wife does the fresh sauce, but she incorporates that what we call like ragu. You know, I love it. And so the cookie, you said your wife's a good cook. You cook also. Do you guys, do all the kids help out at home? Does anyone, is anyone else allowed in the kitchen? Yeah, I, you know what? It's funny. The, the, the boys, my daughter doesn't cook that much. She doesn't like cooking. She's a self-proclaimed like, nah, you, you cook for me. But my sons, they like, you know, could be 11 o'clock at night and they're making steak au poif, you know. So they, they you know, I've, I've taught them a little bit and they've learned from my wife and they just are not afraid to go get in the kitchen and get their hands dirty. That's awesome. So we've been talking about your wife. You're coming up on a 20 year anniversary, is it? 20 year. October's will be 20 years. Congratulations. Thank you. Big plans or? You know, I mean, depending on COVID and stuff like that, you know, I mean, who the hell knows? But yeah, you know, I mean, we'll try to do something nice, I'm sure. You know, whether we're, we go away together or whether we do, do something intimate, me and her, we've been together for a long time. We got a great marriage, you know. How do you guys keep it together, man? Like you got a lot going on. 
You know, <laughs> look, when you're together, as long as we have, you know each other, right? You know, so I know when to step back and give her her space, and she knows when to step back and give me my space. And when she needs me, I know how to be there for her. And when I need her, she knows how to be there for me. And we really don't fight. I got to say, we have a great, like, we fight it now over the kids, if anything. It's like, you know, they try to play me against her or her against me. But, you know, like most kids. That's funny. Do you remember the first thing you ever cooked for her? The first thing I ever cooked for her, I think I did a risotto. I think it was a lobster risotto. That was what I did, yeah. What three words would you use to describe your wife? There's a lot of them. Beautiful, honest, humble. Hmm. I like it. What three words do you think she would use to describe you? Crazy for sure. <laughs> uh, I mean, you know, I guess I get definitely crazy because I am nuts. But, you know, I would say I think the thing that she has told me that she's admired most about me is that, you know, I have an idea, but I'm also able to execute it. You know, a lot of people, you know, could say, all right, you know, I'm a dreamer. I'm going to dream this up. But then, you know, can you execute it? If I say like, oh, you know what? I, I was driving in today and I had this idea. I figure out how to get it done. And and I'm, I'm what I call my best attribute would say that I'm a classically trained problem solver. So whether your problem is how to get your business off the ground, how do I move mountains at my business or how do I figure out exactly the best travel route to get from here to California? That's what I'm good at. Got it. That's the way I'm wired. Yeah, sure. So what was your first job in the bakery? First thing I did, it was pretty funny. It was my first day. I'll never forget it. I was like 11 or 12 years old. I said to my dad, hey, am I going to make a cake? And he brought me in the bathroom and he said, clean the toilet bowl. I was like, this is a true story. I said, what? I said, really? I mean, he goes, why? Do you think you're too good to do it? And I said, no. And he looked at me and he said, you take as much pride in cleaning that toilet bowl as if you make a big wedding cake. And he said, if you take as much pride in everything you do, everything you do, you'll be good at. You know, I think he did it because, A, he wanted the other bakers not to think that just because I was his son, I was going to get special treatment. Two, because the fact that he knew one day that I would be potentially the boss, right? That he wanted me to know what it was like to be the guy who had to clean the toilet bowl because I had a lot more admiration or respect for that person, right? And and three, I think that he wanted me to really understand that you have to take pride in everything you do. I do that too. I got a funny saying with my kids, like if we're cleaning, like the other day we were cleaning the, the backyard and I said, you scrub until you bleed or it comes off. Whatever happens first wins. So if you're scrubbing it and your fingers bleed, then it ain't coming off. But if you scrub and it comes off, then then it's wins. So that, that's how you know that I scrub enough, you know? Yeah. Do you, that's interesting. Do you still use that? I mean, I was going to say, what do you remember from that time, your first job? But you, I mean, you're telling me you probably instill that in staff to this day, no? Yeah. I mean, look, my dad taught me that like when you work, he used to say to me, when you work on a bench, you you set the pace and you got to do two to everybody's one. So if you're rolling cookies out, you I get, you got to be using both hands. He used to say, if you use one hand, well, God gave you one hand or two. 
So, you know, using two hands and then you're going twice as fast as everybody. He would say, you know, your blood's got to boil. He says, you got to set the tempo in the room. And you know what? I never had to tell anybody I was the boss. They knew I was the boss and, and they respected me because I was the first one in. I was down, always down on my hands and knees scrubbing and cleaning. And, you know, you, you earn that. And it's funny because till this day, I still do that, you know, and, and, and I'll never forget. It was maybe about two years ago and I was away and then I came back and, and, and we would, we were just scrubbing the floors and we had a new employee and they're like, Oh my God, you know, like, I can't believe you're like, you know, and I was filthy. I was in a white t-shirt and I was, you know what I'm trying to say? They were like, I can't believe you do this. And I said, well, look, I can't expect you to do it if, if I'm not willing to do it, you know, uh, but they're like, you know, look at this point in your life, do you have to, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how much I have or, or, or whatever it is. I mean, this is my place. I care. And do you know how much further that goes with your employees that they see that you do it and you give a shit? Yeah. Absolutely. So your father passed, you were young. I mean, 17, 17 years old. Did I read you took over the bakery at that age? Yeah, I actually dropped out of high school and took over the bakery. I had like 25 employees. And I mean, look, I was really talented for my age. I was actually probably better at cake decorating than baking because I worked more on the weekends. Cake decorating really came natural to me. But as I got better, you know, I had to go there and I had to make the cakes. Like, you know, when I was, I remember being 15 years old and a cake would get messed up and my dad would tell my sister, take your brother in the car to the bakery so he could go remake the cake. And I would go to the bakery and, and remake the cake. So when my dad died, I had to learn more of the baking. And I had bakers that have were there. They, I mean, you know, look, I'm 17. I got bakers who are 50 years old. I want to listen to a 17-year-old kid. But I really thought back to the fundamentals of what my dad taught me. And, you know, I humbled myself. I respected my elders. And, you know, I said, you know, teach me. And I learned and little by little. And, 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 you know, then as I got better, they respected me more. My dad's right-hand man, Sal, before he died, told me, he said, you know, I never thought that, you know, that anybody would ever be a better baker than your father. But he said, you surpassed him. And it was like one of those things that was like... Yeah. How'd that make you feel? It made me feel great. I mean, not because I wanted to beat my dad, but just because I, I, I just always wanted to be the best that I can be, you know, and I did it through really hard work and, and brute force, really. So you have this untraditional career path. You didn't go to a fancy culinary school and train all over under various famous pastry chefs and mentors. Do you have anyone that you consider a mentor? I mean, my biggest mentor was definitely my dad. Right. You know, by far, the only other person who really gave me any schooling is I took a, a class for sugar flowers with uh, Miss Betty Van Nordstrom, a little little old lady from uh, upstate New York. And, you know, other than that, I really didn't never really went anywhere else. But I feel like through the years, different people have come in and out of my life. And, you know, I've learned things and, and you, you you try, it's trial and error. You know, you like, you go to a restaurant, you eat something, you're like, oh, you know what? That flavor profile was good. How do I make it into something I like? Right. And then you look at, you're like, all right, so my cake is perfect. Right. And, and, and then in my mind, I work for, for months formulating that to get the perfect cake. 
you know, what's the right grain on a sponge? What's the right moisture content? You know, everything the way that I want it to be. When you eat it, you want it to feel smooth and velvety and, and perfect, right? So now I want to make, let's just say, like the, the newest creation is I want to come up with a sweet potato cake for the fall. And I've been working on it for like three months now. You know, I, I was I was inspired by it realistically from I was at Ruth Chris Steakhouse and I had the sweet potato pecan side, right? And I ate it and I was like, man, this thing is like candy. It's like cake. And and I said, you know, how do I turn that into a cake? You know, and then I just kind of like inspired and then it's like, okay, so now let me take out a certain fat percentage for my cake, add in sweet potato, right? And then it's like, all right, so it's full. So I'm going to put some cinnamon and nutmeg, you know, maybe a little allspice in there with that. And then you balance the flavors out. And then I want to come up with something like a, I think it needs a little twang, right? So take cream cheese, but I don't want it to be all cream cheese icing. Let's take cream cheese. Let's do 75% cream cheese to like a 25% brown sugar molasses Swiss meringue buttercream, right? So you get a little bit of that in there with the cream cheese. So you get the twang, you'll get that smokiness from the molasses and that brown sugar, right? And then I took candied pecans and granola because I wanted that texture. So that is just, so that's just like, that's how I'm wired. How's it coming though? Are you still working on it? I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm, it's not official yet, but that that's, uh, I'm hopefully that's going to be our full oh, winner. Sounds <laughs> so good. We have Martin's Potato Rolls as one of the partners of the podcast. And I yeah. like called him one time. I was like, what if you guys did like a sweet potato roll, like special, mm. like switch things well, up a little bit. Listen, and I'm not just saying <laughs> it because they're your partners, but those are the best, those are the best buns. Those, oh, those potato so rolls. Good. Once you've had a hot dog or a hamburger and totally. that, you, you, can't, you can't go back. <laughs> it's at my house. So I'm curious, how do you not lose your shit every day? Like you have 10, 20, I don't even know the exact number these days, bakeries, events, business, TV, nationwide shipping, 100,000 square foot baking facility. Like how do you keep it together? Like what drives you? Well, look... If I didn't, if I told you I never lose my shit, I'd be lying to you. All right. The thing is, is what I try to do is my anxiety goes in, in waves, right? My, my attribute of being a problem solver is my, is my best attribute, but it can be my worst because how do I get there? I use, how do I solve a problem? Problem solved by being obsessive compulsive and I keep playing it out in my head. Well, what if I do this? And what if I go here? And what if I do this? What if I do that? And then, you know, you get into it and then then that raises your anxiety, right? Sometimes when I go through waves of where, you know, and and look, it just happened coincidentally in in June, July to me. And going back to like wife and, and, and great relationships and stuff like that. So I was finishing filming buddy verse stuff. Right. So we, we, you know, so I had to be out of the bakery for like almost two months. I had just got in nitrogen tunnels at my factory to be able to kind of streamline the process of baking and finishing in the same day. I was about to go on vacation for a week and a half because my sister was getting married and I had just finished doing a new pool in my backyard. And I had all this shit coming at me from a hundred different ways. And, and again, I'm, you know, 
problem solve, solve. All right, well, you, the pool guy needs this, blah, 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 make a phone call, boom, it's done. The, the nitrogen tunnels, all right, this is how we're going to run it. We're going to run the line like this. We're going to get nine kicks a minute, blah, 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 blah. Okay, we're going on vacation. I'm going to do it. But when I'm wound that tight, I can snap. And, and you know, like the person that sometimes or the people who, who bear it the most of my, my family, my wife and kids, and my wife will be like, you know, I know you're wound up. She's like, just, just, just relax. Cause I'll lay in bed and, and then my wheels will just spin and stuff like that. But then it goes away. Right. So then like I went on vacation in two weeks and, and now I'm back to normal, but it might be like, I'm good for four months and then I'm bad for a month. Then I'm good for four, you know, like it's just, you, you go with it, you know, but, but you're aware of it or she's aware of it. I'm aware of it where I know if I'm, if I have my anxiety, I go in my office and I just try to like clear my head. You know, I, I thank God I've, I had, I've been able to never have to medicate from it. And not that there's anything wrong with medicating from it. It's just that I was able to kind of like, I feel it coming on and it's like, I take a break and try to breathe deep and, and do it. I mean, look, it's real. I mean, it's everybody deals with it today. You know, so it's just a matter of kind of finding balance. But sometimes, man, things are just coming at you, gunning, gunning, gunning. And that's when you're wound up like tight. When you're wound up tight, the littlest little poke at the bear, and, oh, you know, it's that, that could be it. And you don't want to, you just don't want to lose your shit for, for something stupid. Right. Okay. So how's your hand, by the way? My hand's actually doing really good. Thank God. I mean, you know, it was pretty wild what happened, but um, I'd say about about 90% back to Incredible. where we were. Anything you learned about yourself during that time? Well, don't go and try to fix everything. Don't always be a problem solver. <laughs> I learned that what a support system I do have around me because everybody really stepped up and helped me from love and support from everybody. And then I also learned that, you know, I am resilient, like, 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 you know, no matter what, like, you know, I have that indomitable spirit in me and, and I wasn't going to let it get the best of me. So, you know, just push forward and make it happen. Okay. So I want to talk about social impact. It's a, it's a big part of the podcast and it's one of the main reasons I started it. It's because you and every chef and restaurateur we have on here are much more than what you see on a plate. I understand the amount of asks you guys get to support a cause or donate a cake in your case. And I can imagine the has to be into the thousands of cakes that you all have donated to a charity or an event or whatnot. So I, I know you're active in different projects and organizations. Is there any you can touch upon or expand upon from us? I've seen you do work with Special Olympics and Make-A-Wish, and I'm sure there's plenty of others, but I would love to open up the floor for you to talk about that. Yeah, I mean, listen, for me, Make-A-Wish is one of those, you know, how we were just talking about how you're wound up and, and you know, shit's everywhere. Well, if you want a reality check, you go do a Make-A-Wish, right? And, you know, you, you'll meet, like, you know, and my first wish was probably my most impactful that I ever granted. I got a call from Make-A-Wish and they said, oh, you know, we, we there's a little girl who wants to do a wish with you. Her wish is to make a cake with you. I said, I was like, I was like, really? Like, I was like honored, you know, like, and again, you know what the organization is, but you, you know, until you actually do it and see it, you don't really understand it. You know, they said, there's only one thing. It's a rush wish. And I said, well, what's a rush wish? And they said, well, it's a terminally ill child that's got to happen within the next two weeks. 
So I was like, absolutely. You know, and uh, Michelle came down. She was 17 years old. And, and I saw this little girl come in a wheelchair. And I saw her and, and my heart just like fell out of my body. I wanted to cry. I wanted to hug her and cry. But I stayed strong the whole day. We, we, we made a cake. We laughed. We spoke about cake boss. We spoke about life. Uh, we played pranks on, you know, the guy at the bakery. We laughed the whole time. And at the end of the day, you know, I, I got the mom and dad alone in my office and, and I just broke down. I started crying and, you know, I said, I feel so bad. You know, is there anything I could do? And the dad said to me, he showed me a picture of her and he said, this was her nine months ago. And she was this beautiful, vibrant little girl. Right. And then, you know, you see her and, and it hit me so hard. And he said, I haven't seen her smile in the last seven months since she's been doing all these treatments. And he said, today you made her the best day. And he said, do me a favor. He said, stay in touch with her. And every single day, me and that girl, we text until she passed. It was probably like about a month, month and a half later. But when you think that life is bad or you think that, you know, things, when you go there and see shit like that, it puts everything in perspective. That day I was supposed to film Cake Boss after. I told my team, I'm like, listen, guys, I got to go to hell home. I went home to my wife my kids and I gave them a little bigger squeeze and I just thank God that, that, you know, everybody's good because, you know, it could be you, you just never know who it's going to be. So, you know, a lot of these organ and, and to your point, you, you're right. I, I get asked to do thousands of them and, and, and I would love to, it's just sometimes there's not enough hours of the day or there's not enough this, or it's not that this organization is better than that. My advice to people is do what you want to do as far as supporting different organizations and help with the ones that you feel confident with and make you feel good. But as long as you're doing that and and you kind of like pass that along to your kids, like whenever I do a wish, I bring my kids with me and it's just, it puts life in perspective for them too, you know, just so that they see it. Probably every, all your staff sees that too, everything going on. Yeah. And listen, dude, I don't do it for the, for, I, 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 I ain't doing it because I want people to see it and think that I'm a – I do it because when I'm done with it, it makes me feel – it puts life in perspective. And I feel so good that, that I've – you know, and I try to inspire these kids, you know. And I, and I you know, I, I really try to, 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 to make the best day they ever had. Yeah. Love it. That's incredible. Thank you for sharing that. Let's do a quick speed round and then uh... – and then we could close it out. Let's do it. Number one, what'd you have for dinner last night? Last night I had steak and mashed potatoes and peas. Love it. How about name a smell in the bakery you love? Smell in the bakery I love, the best is carrot cake. Carrot cake is the best smell because you get that pineapple and cinnamon. How about a smell in the bakery you hate? Anazette cookies. And what pisses you off in the kitchen or bakery? Things that piss me off is, is uh, if things are not in line. Like, like I like, I like things to be organized, neat. And I like, you know, if I set up a line to do, you know, eight kicks a minute, I want it to be there. What makes you happy in the kitchen? When I look at the line going good and you're getting beautiful cakes out and, and it's perfect. And so like, this is the way it is, you know? What actor would you want to play Buddy Blastro in a movie? Somebody handsome like Brad Pitt, you know? <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> there you go. There yeah. you go. Uh, before we go, is there a celeb or someone? I saw you've been doing things with Gigi Hadid, but is there someone famous, if you will, that you look or non-famous? Is there someone you love to make a cake for that you haven't, and what would you make this person? You know, I, I mean, I've been asked this before. I, I would probably say the Pope. I'd like to make a cake for the Pope. I think that he's a good Pope. I think he's trying to reunite people and uh, he's talking about poverty and feeding people and things that I think that are near and dear to my heart. Would you go traditional like... Yeah, maybe like a big Pope hat, you know, something cool. (laughs) (laughs) My last question, you've accomplished a ton in your life, your career. Is there something you haven't done that you want to do? I mean... Honestly, I want to take this next chapter and generation and see what my kids do and see if they're going to kind of come on this journey with me. I would love to build something amazing with them. So we'll see what the next chapter brings. Yeah, I love it. Thank you so much. I really, really appreciate you squeezing this in and sitting down and and talking with us. My pleasure, man. Good to talk to you, brother. Thanks, buddy. Enjoy the rest of your day. You got it. Bye-bye. Thanks again to Buddy Velastro. Find more on him at carlosbakery.com. To learn more about Make-A-Wish Foundation, go to wish.org. Find me and keep up to date with this podcast across all social media platforms at On Kathy's Plate or go to beyondtheplatepodcast.com. Beyond the Plate is on all the socials at BT Plate Podcast. This episode was produced by myself along with Ian Cohen, Joe Yetton, and Sean Petrosian. Our digital media is by Sarah McClellan Mead. Our music has been composed by Goldford. Find him at iGoldford. As always, special shout out to my wife, Katie. Please rate, review, and or subscribe to this podcast on your listening site of choice. Don't forget to join us next Wednesday for an episode of Beyond the Drink, our companion podcast of Beyond the Plate, presented by Ford's Gin. Thank you for listening to Beyond the Plate. I'm Cappy, and remember, there are never too many cooks in the kitchen.